Well, welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. We want to say happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. I got to see my mom this week, a day trip to New York City, which was wonderful. But we are thankful for all of our moms and all that you give and all that you do. And so hopefully you can feel that love today from your family, kids. I guess a few kids are still here, making sure you love your mom today. But we also recognize that today's a hard day. For a, lot of, for a lot of women, for various different reasons. Um, and so we want to say that we love you too. And we appreciate all the women of our church. Um, and we're thankful for the ways that you care and are part of our body here. Um, this month, we've been in a series called Love Your Neighbor. Because we think that we need to be focusing on this. Jesus spent uh, many different passages kind of talking through this command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, this is the first and greatest commandment. So this is, this is important. And if Jesus says it's first and it is greatest and it is central to the law, we feel like it is worthwhile for us both kids and adults all together to spend our time focusing on this one command and asking ourselves, are we doing this? Am I following God in this way? And so the first week we looked into this, we, we recognized that as, as we're told to love the Lord God with everything that we are and to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, we, we realize, and when we start to think about that, that we are utterly incapable of doing that. We can't love God fully, and we can't love our neighbor as ourselves because we are selfish. And we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we right off the, the get-go, we recognize we're not the Good Samaritan in the passage, but we are the man on the side of the road who is left hurting and naked and in need, and that Jesus is the good Samaritan, that he comes to us in our deficiencies and our needs, and he comes and he doesn't just share a good story like this parable was, but he, he doesn't come as a, just as a rabbi or a spiritual teacher, but that Jesus came as the justifier, that through his life and then his death on the cross, that we can be healed and we can be forgiven and we can be given new life and that this is where the good this is where the good samaritan begins recognizing that without Jesus we can't do this and then when we begin to to reflect on his love for us that we are the the man on the side of the road and that he's given us everything we need for new life then we can begin to think through now I can overflow in love to you, God the Father, through Jesus the Son. And now I can begin to love my neighbor. It's not that we can do it perfectly, but we can strive as we consider the love of Jesus for us to love others. And so that second question from the lawyer, I think, is, is still really important. Even though we can't do it perfectly, the question is worthwhile for us as we are guided in loving others out of the love that Jesus has shown us. And so that's what we've been thinking about. This is first. This is greatest. Let's focus on doing what Jesus has told us to do. And so we looked at the neighbor the first week in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Any person 
Any human with any need that crosses your path. That's the point of the parable. It's a man, a generic person that you just happen to cross, cross paths with. So who is the neighbor? Any person that you meet or you see or you bump into that has a need, which by the way, is everyone. And then last week, Pastor Ray did a great job thinking through our neighbor as the one another's, the people in this room, other believers, other followers of Jesus. The New Testament says over, and the Old Testament, over and over again, our Christian duty to care for and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're going to continue. Who are the neighbors? Who has God, who is God teaching us to love? Because we want to focus on this, and we want to do this because it is, it is vital to following him. And so this morning, we have another group that I want to look at that I think Scripture very loudly speaks to. Who is our neighbor? It's any man, any woman, any child who lives in poverty. Any man, any woman, any child who's vulnerable, who's hungry, thirsty, orphans and widows and those who live on the street. And so I knew, planning out this series, Love Your Neighbor, I knew this was going to be a week of, this was going to be a Sunday's message, but I didn't have a particular passage in mind. And so what I typically do for a week, I like to find, it's good to find a passage that's going to speak to what, what I'm teaching on kind of as a starting point that I typically don't jump around from a bunch of different passages, but I start with a text, and wherever the text takes, takes the topic, that's the direction that I want to go. And so this last week on Monday, I knew that this was the topic, so I, I thought I'm going to pull up my concordance, and I'm going to see all the passages. I'm going to try to land the plane on one passage. And so started looking up words like poor and hungry, an orphan. And I just started with the word poor. And I quickly was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of all the passages that speaks to being poor. Not a handful. Not a hundred. We're talking 2,000 verses. And so I'm like, this is going to take a long time to read all these verses on the poor. And at this point, as I'm starting to cut, just trying to find a passage to study, by this time, I'm no longer just overwhelmed and kind of surprised by the amount of passages. But as I start reading the passages at this point, I'm deeply convicted, deeply convicted at the sheer volume of passages that speak to God's love for the poor and how the church should love the poor as well. Now, not all passages on the poor are talking about physically poor. Spiritual poor is certainly a part of that. But over and over and over again, 1 John 3, 17, just hear this word. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And the answer to that question is it doesn't. It's incompatible. It doesn't work that way. Deuteronomy 15, 11, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, 
you shall open wide your hand to three groups of people, to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in the land. And I could read passages literally all morning long along these lines of our, our need to love and care and be compassionate for the poor. And so I'm reading these passages, and I'm honest. I, I, was, I, was, I was weeping because I am so convicted about all these passages that God is, is literally shouting his compassion for the poor. I mean, to a tune of thousands of verses from the beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation. It doesn't matter what kind of genre. It happens through all of the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs. It happens in the Kings and the history. It happens in the New Testament with Jesus, the epistles, the gospels with the life of Jesus. And even in Revelation, it's the steady, the steady theme of God loves the poor. I am compassionate for the poor. The poor is your neighbor, and you should love the poor like I love the poor. All the while, as I'm reading these passages, recognizing that I'm living my life with my, with my headphones on. I'm living my life in this gross materialism while all these people have needs all around me. So I was convicted and I confess that to you. I was taking uh, my son and two of his buddies to soccer practice this week. And I coached their team. And on the way home, my gas light came on. I did what we all do. I pull in the gas station. Gas, it's expensive, okay? You're like, and I'm complaining about it to these three boys. And there's a little guys in the backseat. They're just oblivious to it. I think I paid 75 bucks to fill up my car. And I'm chirping to the, the boys about how awful this is. And one of the boys kind of gets into it. Said, well, my dad filled up his truck and it was this much money. And, and I'm just complaining about the cost of gas for my car. And what happens when you're a pastor and you're reading God's word in the morning, God brings those, those things you've been reading, brings them to mind throughout the day. And I remember as I was driving home, this statistic that I had just read, literally just that morning, that 689 million people will wake up today with less than $1.90 to live for the day. That's 10% of the world will wake up with a buck 90. So they're not filling up a car, they're not filling up a half of one gallon, not just because they don't have the money, but they don't have the car. I mean, I just put four new tires on my car without blinking an eye. I look back and see my boys. They're playing soccer. We paid to have Truman join this team. I look back at my boys. They're wearing, they're wearing practice jerseys. We paid money so they can have a practice jersey, practice shorts, and practice socks. These, these boys, my son goes to a Christian school. He knows who Jesus is. The boys all got in the car that night. They had dinner. They had snacks. They had water. And as I'm sitting there uh, complaining about the gas, and God is just, just convicting me with the reality that 10% of the world will never have the chance to do one of those things that we just did in the, in the span of 20 minutes. 
And I have to confess to the boys and say, listen, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I was reading about South Sudan this week. Overwhelming to read about the history of South Sudan. Ten years ago, they became an independent country from Sudan. So they broke off of South of Sudan, formed their own country, South Sudan, which sounds like a celebration, independence. Okay, well, it wasn't a celebration. Right at the very beginning, their new president and vice president, they have a political fight. Right at the, I mean, it was just weeks. They have this political fight between the president and the vice president. And the repercussions of that are catastrophic in this new country, South Sudan. These political, this political infighting becomes literally a catastrophic war, race-based war that has now formed between these two different tribes and these two different groups of people in South Sudan. And it is brutal what is happening in South Over the last decade, what's been happening, the massacres, the loss and the pain the torture, villages being burned. On top of that, living in this country with COVID, inflation, and Ukraine, and all that is facing, and the headline that I was reading about South Sudan said this. This was the title, Unprecedented Catastrophic Humanitarian Crisis in South Sudan. Eight million people are what they describe as living in extreme and deadly hunger because they're, they're running. They're on the run because of all of the violence. And these people have no food and no water and nowhere to go, and they are running, many going to Uganda. And then they had a story of a, of a mom who had just walked 37 miles to get to the doctor for her infant who hadn't eaten in days. Well, she has two other kids back at home who haven't eaten for days, and they're talking to her, and they're interviewing her, and it is, it is overwhelming. And I come back to my passage. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love your family. Right? It's Mother's Day. We love our mothers. And one of the things we love about our mothers is to the length that they will go to care for their kids, right? Moms will stop at nothing to care and watch and feed and be there for their kids. And as I'm reading this story about this mother in South Sudan, I'm thinking of all the moms that, that I know that would do the same thing at whatever the cost. But here's what we see with Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love this family in South Sudan. We're to love families who live in poverty and hunger, who struggle, just like moms love their kids. Just as you love your family, love others. That's what Jesus is saying. And so I'm just sharing and being up front. This has been a convicting week for me, that I knew the topic. I knew that this is kind of the direction we were going, but I had no idea that God would press so hard on my heart and my life personally. I mean, we put a fence in our backyard. Nothing wrong with a fence. 
It's a nice fence. The dogs can run. It's much nicer for all of us. But it costs money. It's not wrong to put up a fence. It's not wrong to play soccer. It's not wrong to fill up your, your gas tank. But listen, it could be wrong. I mean, if, that's, if that is your safety and that's your comfort and that's what you're relying on and you're hoarding all of these resources, it could be wrong according to the word of God. And so this morning, for all of us, we want to listen to God's word and we want to think through how am I stewarding the blessings and the resources that God's given me. So let's pray and we'll jump into a few texts. Father, beyond the voice of mere man, Grant that we may hear you speak, gracious God, for the glory of your name, for the good of your people, and for the conversion of those who've yet come to believe. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. Three points, three thoughts as we think about the role of the church in loving our neighbor that includes those who are living in poverty. The necessity, the mindset, and the way. The necessity of love, the mindset of love, and the way of love. Okay, the necessity of love. This is an easy point to make when you read the scripture that this loving those who are vulnerable and have less than is not an option. If you're following Jesus, it comes with the territory. And God's word speaks decisively about this, unapologetic about this, that if you don't love the poor, you don't know Jesus. And it's just that plain and simple. And we'll talk more about how that all works together. But the, one of the best passages that speaks of this is Matthew 25. And we'll, we're going to hurry through some of this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So just let that sink in for a minute. Just picture that moment. Jesus comes in his glory with his angels. He is sitting on the throne. Time has come to an end. This is it. This is an, it's an overwhelming thing to put in your mind and your heart. Jesus is in his glory with the angels sitting upon the throne. I mean, we long for that day, don't we? Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The final judgment. He'll place the sheep on his right, put the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so here's the question. Don't read ahead. You're already looking ahead, but... By what basis is this separating going to happen? By what basis does the shepherd determine who's a sheep and who is a goat? Who comes with him to eternity and who does not? I mean, if I were to just ask you, if we were to just stop there and I didn't have the rest of the passage and like we were to, to put our heads together and you never read this passage, like what is the basis? We would say, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've experienced grace, you, whatever, we would have all sorts of ideas. I'm not sure that this would be at the top of the list. Look at his answer. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. And I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did, you see, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, the least of these. And when we love the least of these, those who are in prison, who are sick and who are naked, who are poor, who struggle, we love them, we love Jesus. And then he says, verse 41, then he'll say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, he's not saying your love and care for the poor gets you to heaven. He's saying it is the best evidence in the life of a believer that you've experienced the grace of God, that you love the poor. And if you don't love the poor, it's to show that you don't understand your own poorness. Right? If you can't love the poor and you don't see it, then you have to ask the question, do you recognize that you're the person on the side of the road in the parable? Do you recognize that lest for grace, that's where you'd be? Do you recognize that God has given you every blessing that you have in your life? And so it's the evidence. It is the best test case for experiencing the love and grace of Jesus through faith in his son is that you love the poor. Often I hear people quote James chapter two. We all know the passage. Typically we use James two when someone's acting in a way that's not very Christ-like, right? Faith without works is dead. Yeah, see, we know the passage that even Satan believes, right? We use this often. Someone's doing things that, we aren't, that aren't appropriate, behavior that doesn't, we don't think should be doing, and I, I don't disagree with that, though I think it's probably hard to judge. Um, it's hard to judge the legitimacy of people's acts, but I think we should be careful when we look into that. But the, the passage is there. Faith without works is dead, and we love this passage. But what was interesting is I was thinking about this passage. Do you know the context of this passage? Like, do you know the work that James has in mind that shows your faith is living? Okay, it's not, not coming to church and it's not having a clean mouth and treating people correctly. Do you, the, 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 the context of the work that shows your faith is alive is caring for the poor. So, so by not caring for the poor, he's saying that's the work that determines the livelihood of your faith. Just jump down to James 2, 15 and 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of us says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. Which, by the way, that's like a convicting quote. Because that's like verbatim what we say. 
I can't give you real food, but I come to give you spiritual food. Like, I'll give you the good news, but I can't, I can't give you money or resources or help. But here's what James says. Without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so here's the necessity of this. What's the basis for faith that is alive and real faith that takes you to the throne of God in Matthew 25, that faith that takes you to heaven? What's the, what's the necessity? Is that we love the poor, that we care for the poor, that we recognize that we've been cared for by the Father, and now we can love and care for those in need. And I recognize this is heavy Okay, like this has been heavy for me, and I also recognize that this is complex, right? This isn't just pass out all your money all the time. Like we recognize, I hear this often, the the complexities of helping someone who has low income, or who is vulnerable, who has needs, and what happens is, is because it's complex, what we tend to do is not do anything because it's time-consuming or multi-layered, Okay. But I think this, this first section, the necessity is just to say, I don't know how we're going to do it exactly, and we'll talk about it, but I think the call of, of all of Scripture is love the vulnerable. It is part of walking with Jesus. Now, what's the mindset? And we're going to fly through this, because I went long last hour, I was told. The mindset of love, it's, what, is our, what is our thinking here? It's not that the pastor tells me to. I can't, I can't force you to go and love someone. Like, I like to control. I like to make things happen. This, I've learned. I can't give you a heart that sees the vulnerable and says, I, I love them. All we can do is go to Scripture and say, how can, can God create in us a heart of compassion for those who are vulnerable? Not, not a heart of being critical, Oh, they caused this themselves. They caught, yeah, they, they did this themselves. Their choices did this. Their sin did this. Which is, that's a typical mindset, but what is the mindset for doing what I've just laid out as the necessity? Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Have you heard that verse before? It's, it's a popular verse for, for child dedication. We'll have one of those in a few weeks. We pray this for our kids. Some of you pray it every night with your kids. May God be gracious to you and bless you and may his face shine upon you. This is the priestly blessing of numbers. So the people of God would come to the priest and they would say, bless us. God, may God bless us. And the priest would pray this exact prayer over them as if, as if to say, if you follow God and walk in his ways, then this isn't just a prayer, that this is a promise that God will care for you. He will be gracious to you. He will bless you. His face will shine upon you. Grace that you don't deserve the love and the favor of God because of your sin, but he, in his love for you, through the sacrifices that you're offering, will be gracious to you. He will bless you and care for you and love you. His face, this is the most significant of the, of the, the three-part prayer that he gives. His face will shine upon you. 
you will not just be blessed, but you will feel the warmth and the love and the compassion of a heavenly father. His warmth will fill you. Okay, so this was a prayer, but it was also a promise. And so all of us here this morning, we recognize that this is true in our lives, right? That we have experienced the grace of God. And that we've been blessed by God and that we have been blessed by God in having his warmth and his face shine upon us. All of us realize this, right? Shake your heads, yes. You have experienced so much grace, right? Just think about it. Think of all the blessing in your life, all the blessing. Look at the people around you. Think about the home you're going, you're going home to. You have been, grace has poured out on your life. You have been blessed, tremendously blessed, physically and spiritually. You've been spiritually blessed. To be able to just go to God at any moment through Jesus and the Holy Spirit his face shines upon you that you can go to him as your, your father. It doesn't matter how your earthly father has been to you, but that you have a heavenly father. And all of you, it, me included, right now have experienced, exponentially experienced this priestly prayer on a daily, moment-by-moment moment blessing. Is that true for you too? Is that true for you? Yeah, it is. Okay, I made that point. I made it hard because we've got to recognize that that's not the end of the psalm. There's a little word there in the text, selah. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? It means pause. It was a mu it's a musical notation that just says, hey, as you're singing this song and as you're reciting this poem, take a breath and pause and just, just consider what you just read. You've been blessed and graced and his face shines upon you. Pause. But here's what's important. It's not a period. It's not the end of the thought. It's not period. Now let's move on to another thought to sing about. It's pause there's a comma as if to say, I'm not done with this thought. You've been blessed and been graced and his face has shined upon you. Now, comma, the word that, verse two, circle it. I mean, it's the key word, that, for the purpose of, so that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. God blesses you and graces you and shines upon you, not as the end in of itself. You recognize that. That when we pray for blessing, that it's not, that's not it. It's not that God blesses us and now we get to just marinate in all the goodness of God, that we can just be comfortable and peaceful and happy and live these nice little lives because we've received all of this grace and all of this goodness. No, so that you can take that blessing and you can make his way, your way, known on the earth. You're saving power among all nations. In other words, you have been blessed every minute of every day so that in that blessing, 
you can go and share the power of God to everyone around you. And listen, this includes those who are hungry and those who are poor and those who are thirsty. That you can't share the powerful, saving work of Jesus Christ with someone while they're hungry. That to do this in verse 2, before you do this in verse 2, You've got to feed someone if they're hungry before you share the powerful working of God in salvation. That that makes sense, right? My poor kids, I was talking to them about this at dinner last night. They get sermons all the time. I say, kids, we're not going to eat tomorrow on Sunday. Not going to eat. Not breakfast. We're not going to eat lunch. We're not going to eat dinner. Then you're going to go to school Monday morning. You're not going to eat breakfast. That might be illegal to do this, but just an illustration, not going to eat lunch. And then Monday night for dinner, we're going to sit down at the dinner table and I'm going to explain a difficult concept from the Old Testament to you. I said, how do you think that's going to go, kids? They looked at me like, what are you doing? You're sick. I said, I said, how would it go if I explained this concept to you after a day and a half of not eating? He said, we wouldn't understand. We wouldn't hear you. We'd be hungry. It's the same way with sharing someone the power among all nations, the way of God on all, on all earth. We can't share the gospel to someone who is starving, who hasn't eaten for three days. You must feed someone and give them drink before you share the gospel with them. And this kind of concept that we've been blessed to be a blessing is all throughout the New Testament. Two quick examples. 2 Corinthians 1 is another example. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. How many of you have been comforted in your afflictions by the Father of all comforts through Jesus Christ our Lord? All of us. How many times have have you been comforted by by the Father through Jesus? But listen, your comfort is, isn't so that you can just be stress-free now. Like, oh, good, I've been comforted of my affliction, and now I can just sit and live and be happy. What does he say? Verse 4, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Your comfort in all of your afflictions, physical, spiritual, emotional, whatever it may be, is for the purpose of, you comforting someone else who has an affliction. And do you think hunger is an affliction? Do you think thirst is an affliction? Absolutely. 2 Corinthians 8 does it again. Nine, let's go to 9.11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I mean, we're all enriched by the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Paul is asking for money because there's a church in Jerusalem that's going through persecution, and he's, he's trying, trying to raise up money, and he's, he said, you have been enriched. Why have you been enriched? To invest your own money, to, to care? Like, no, no, you've been enriched so that you can care and provide for others. And so here's the mindset. To the, to the, to the level that we understand that we have been blessed and graced and the face of God has shown upon us that we've been given abundance, that we've been enriched, that we have been comforted in our afflictions through Jesus to the, to the depth that we understand all of those things that we have been given and we don't deserve is to the depth 
and to the lengths that we can love those around us, specifically those who are poor. And so how do we do this? I have no time left, but, and this is a complex issue. How, how do we do this? Two quick things as we wrap up. Love wisely and relationally. This is not a quick fix. You know, we walk by people who are on the streets and we're not sure what to do and we're not sure how to do this. Here's the advice. Love wisely and relationally. There's a book called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor in Yourself by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. It is the definitive book on, on, how to, on how to helpfully care and love the poor without making the issues worse. And one of the themes through their book is to love relationally, to, to multidimensionally, that poverty is not a simple fix and it's not just throwing money at someone. It's not a project on a weekend, but it involves time and care and wisdom and being invested in somebody's life. So you can, a couple of things that we could do. Some of us are called to give money to organizations that really care well for those who are in poverty. We have those organizations in E-Town. We have those organizations in Lancaster County. We've got, there's a lot of good organizations that recognize that there are ways to care for someone both spiritually and physically all together. So you can give to some of these organizations. You can serve and volunteer in some of the organizations here in E-Town, the, the Winter Shelter and others. And I'll talk more about a few others in just a second. Secondly, live simply and give generously. Live simply and give generously. Scale back the extravagance in which you live in so that you can give generously to others. And I get, we're a generous church. I understand that, but I would just encourage you, I would challenge you to really think through, how am I spending my money? Analyze it. And how much are you, or is your spending reflective of your values? Is your spending reflective of your loves? So look at how much you spend on entertainment and subscriptions and clothing, eating out. Again, none of those are wrong, but ask, your, ask the question, does this reflect my values, the, the, the values of the word of God? And so what we want to do, this is your Love Your Neighbor Month. We have some challenges for you, a couple, two organizations that we want to work with, one over the next week, one over the next four weeks. The one that we're, we want to help with, with over the next week is right here, about a mile away, Community Cupboard. They feed about over 120 families every single week, and we want to do a food drive. We do this every year. This week, instead of a whole month, we're going to do it in one week because we're crazy. We want to, we want to gather 2,000 pounds of food. So that's a lot of food in one week delivered at the, at the ministry center at the top of the hill our new church office space on Saturday. And we love the community cupboard. Here's why. Because we partner with the community cupboard. So when someone walks into the church and has physical needs and spiritual needs, we'll pray and talk to them about spiritual things and share the gospel with them. But like I, you, you have to feed someone. You don't just say, well, you, you, don't, you don't need food today. I'm gonna give you, no, you don't do that. You say, and we have an organization that you can go in. It's like a grocery store. They give them a box and they fill up the box with food, all the food that they want. And so we partner with Community Cupboard. And then when people come into Community Cupboard and they're hungry and they need food and they sense that they need more different help, they'll send people from Community Cupboard to Mount Calvary Church. And so this is a partnership. We love Community Cupboard. And so we want to we bring in 2,000 pounds of food. All that information's on the bulletin. 
The other organization we want to help is 7,000 miles away. So 1,000 or one mile away, and there's an organization and a group of people 7,000 miles away with an organization called Never Thirst. So we're going to watch a video, and then I'll explain how we're going to give to Never Thirst. This is a ministry that is truly doing what they say they're doing, providing clean and living water to the poor through the local church. Because of the lack of clean water, we have issues like sickness, disease, and even death. Most of the disease Killers are waterborne diseases, malaria, diarrhea, and many others. We also see a lack of education in women because the women are the ones who end up having to fetch water all day, every day, sometimes five to eight hours a day. That takes six hours a day to get to water from that stream. The distance of this water source from the school it is three kilometers. And they miss lessons. There's no one water solution that's gonna work everywhere. So we try to work creatively with a lot of different options, looking at the best one that meets each need of the community and the individual. In some areas of Cambodia, arsenic isn't a problem, and groundwater through hand pumps is Sometimes a we do biosand filters in communities. Rain tanks that are a fantastic access. solution. Since Never Thirst was founded in 2008, we have pushed the limits of creativity and innovation to bring clean water and the gospel to some of the most desperate and destitute places on the planet. And the results that we've seen uh, and continue to see God reveal is absolutely astounding. I'm a Theologically, the water that they're bringing physically is partnered with the living water that is Jesus. The people come to take the water and we have time to share about God to them and they to surrender to God and worship God. That encourage the people to come. In every Sunday, we have new people who come to the church. After the faith of the faith, and the faith of the faith, the faith of the faith has increased a lot. We have been praying for the faith of the faith. We have been praying these people are now listening to us, and this is a great privilege for us to share the gospel. L'eau est vraiment très important et nous a donné une grande occasion et ça a ouvert largement la porte devant nous. We love to be able to share the real stories of these people who have been truly impacted, not just by receiving clean water, but the life-changing, transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has come to their villages. But we can't do it alone. We need your help to do it. Will you please consider joining us to help us bring clean and living water to the almost 800 million people who still have no access? So this week I was writing the sermon and I pretty much wrapped it all up and came across this organization 
and, and did a little bit of research and love how they give and how they partner with the church and they partner with missionaries to, to care for both physical needs and spiritual needs together. And I called them and was talking to the director, just thinking through how can we as a church, in response to the, the, our necessity to love the poor, how could we as a church help, help give people water and the gospel? And well, he was sharing a bunch of different ways, but he said, you know what the most pressing need is? He said, it has to do with South Sudan. And I thought, well, that's interesting, because I had just been reading all about South Sudan and he said, what's happening in South Sudan, all these, these people are on the run. They're refugees, and they're going to Uganda. And he said, we, we can't keep up with all the people that are now leaving South Sudan, going into Uganda, and who have, have no water at all. And he said, we, we need help to dig these wells. And so as a church over the next four weeks, as a families, kids are getting the same type of message over in the gym we're encouraging families to make sacrifices, luxuries, things that we have that we don't necessarily need to save that money over the next four weeks to give, to, to dig and build a well in Uganda. And it's going to cost $16,000 for a well. That's nothing. We can do that. We can do a couple of those. But that's the goal, just one. That's the goal is one, where we give and sacrifice and our families, and we say we, we want to be obedient and to follow the call of Scripture, the call of Christ, the call of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this 16,000, go and look on the website. We, we trust this organization. I like that they're very transparent with their finances. The 16,000, the way that they use it and train the villages and train the people and use the people and put the money into the community. It's not a group of mission, it's not a group of us going to build this well for them. They, put, they invest that money into the community and they train the, the village how to repair the well and use the well and to create rules for the well. And they said, once, once the money comes in and we build the well, we'll send you pictures of the well because it's going towards a specific well in Uganda for these people. And so that's the call. That's the challenge. We're, we're bringing in food for the community cupboard. We're making sacrifices to give over the next four weeks so that we can build a well for these, for these people in Uganda. So let's pray, and we'll close with a song. Father, we, we confess to you, I confess to you, my materialism and my comfort, my prosperity, and not neglecting to see the needs of the people all around me, both here locally and around the world. And that because of technology, we, we, we can see the needs around the world. Now, we can't just plead ignorance because we don't know what's happening. But God, I pray that, I pray that you would empower us and that you would give us the mindset, the desires to give. Open our eyes and our hearts to see the tremendous blessing, the tremendous grace, the tremendous comfort, the tremendous abundance, the tremendous enrichment that we have today in this moment because of your son Jesus. And out of that would overflow sacrificial, loving care for those who, who don't have it. And so, God, we lift up these two projects to you. We recognize that it's challenging it, it, with inflation and all the challenges of, that we currently have personally. But, God, I pray that you would speak to our families, to individuals, that we would give and we would rely on you for everything. 
We love you and we thank you for the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.